Good morning, everybody. How are you doing today? All right, good to see you guys. How many of you are excited for the 10 days of sunshine we get every year? Man, you guys are awesome. You are really, really growing in God because you're giving up like half of your, well, not half, one hour. Come on, you're not that good. But, you know, one hour of the 10 days of sunshine you get a year to be in church today. And so I know that you're earning good points with God today, right? Which is not how it works, but regardless, it's a lot of fun to talk about. You might see that I myself have a slight tan because I did spend a few hours outside over the last two days. And uh, those of you who know how much I love to be outside know that's actually pretty difficult for me. I know some people really enjoy the outdoors, and uh, to me, the outdoors is that space between air-conditioned environments. Anybody with me here? Yeah, some of you, I know people get mad at me, they're like, no, camping is great. I'm like, it is great, except for you always show up and you're like, we forgot this one thing. Oh yeah, our house. There was this whole period of time that most of you that love to camp would actually love to be a part of and live in. It was called the 1800s. Because, you know, we, we've progressed from there, right? How many of you are glad we live in an era with flushing toilets and Netflix and the internet? Come on, somebody. All right, all right. I know I, I, know I lose you guys, but we were outside over the last uh, two days. We had a yard sale. You know, when I do, we, we do a yard sale. We've done two yard sales in our whole life. One, well, in our whole married life. I've been a part of other yard sales, but Bethany and I have done two. The first one we did was in Medford when we were moving to Eugene. And so we were actually selling like really good stuff, Right because we had to downsize to move to Eugene. And so people were coming up and were like, yeah, we're selling this. And they're like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And this yard sale was just to get stuff out of our garage, right? So, but I felt like at this yard sale, I was a titan of commerce because I was able to upsell people from like a quarter to 27 cents. You know how it's relative when you're in a yard sale and somebody is buying baby shoes or like this old hat that you haven't worn in nine years, right? And uh, uh, strange enough, we couldn't sell any beavers gear. That was weird. But anyways, nobody, <laughs> we don't own any. Come on. Anyways, sorry, go Ducks. But we were, uh, we were uh, selling stuff, you know, and, I, and you find yourself negotiating. And it's funny how, like, intense you are. They're like, I'll give you a dollar. You're like, dollar fifty. <laughs> and then when you get that dollar fifty, you feel like, mm, I've done something really good. You know what I'm talking about? So that was fun, and uh, that, that has nothing to do with the message today. Not, not a thing, not at all. I just needed something to say when I walked up here to get my bearings. And anyways, now I have my bearings, whatever that means. Well, I'm excited to be in church. How many of you know that when you show up on a Sunday in the house of God, and it's not like a house of God is a building. Come on, it's where the people of God gather, and, and, and the presence of God is here in, the, in, in worship, and we're enjoying and celebrating God's presence. But when we come together um, in church on a Sunday morning, that there's the potential for a miracle to break out in your life. You know, it's, it's crazy to me that you could be sitting next to somebody today and that person could get absolutely nothing out of the message and just be like, that was a dud or man, I didn't feel anything today. And God could be doing something amazing in you. And what's the difference? It's the expectation and the openness of your heart. So I want to encourage you today, listen, whenever the word of God is preached, whenever we show up in the presence of God, whenever we come to church, show up with an attitude of expectation that God is going to do something in my life. Because you don't know when you're that one word away from God, that one touch of his hand that takes you into a place of breakthrough where all of a sudden that struggle that you were having or that healing that you need or that breakthrough in your mind or your emotions or whatever it is that God does that in that moment, right? 
And I love it in the scriptures because it's full of stories of people that just wanted to get to Jesus. Like there was that woman I was thinking about in, in the time of worship that had a, a medical problem for 13 years and no doctors could help her. And she'd exercise every solution that man had for her. And, and so Jesus is walking by this one day and she presses through a crowd and all she gets is the hem of his robe. And he feels it because she draws power out of him and she's healed in that moment. What was different from her and all the other people that were bumping shoulders with Jesus in that moment? What was different? She was pursuing. She wanted something. Come on, she had expectation that if I can just get to Jesus. And listen, you're here today. And if your heart is open and saying, if I can just get to Jesus, Lord, could you speak to me today in this message? God, could you, could you do something in my heart? I believe that that expectation and faith is gonna release God's power into your life and good things are gonna happen. Can I get an amen? All right. Well, this morning, I have the privilege of concluding our series called The Freedom Factor. And we've been talking about forgiveness and the power of forgiveness. How many of you have enjoyed this series? And how many of you have said, would say, hey, God has actually done something in my life, like significantly. Come on, participation prize, you get a gold star, raise your hand, everybody's a winner. All right, we're all, this is millennials. Okay, raise your hand. You know, God has done something in my life. He's spoken to me. And for me, sometimes uh, I get wrecked, not necessarily in the message time, when I'm up here talking, but I get wrecked by God in the preparation time when I'm studying and reading the scriptures. And I remember a couple weeks back and months ago preparing for this series that, that I just continued. I felt these nudges of the Holy Spirit, like, oh, there's this, this person. I need to let them go. I need to forgive. You know, this, this, this wound that has happened in my heart that God wanted to do something. And you know what I mean by those little nudges? You just feel the impression where God's saying, hey, son, or hey, daughter, I want you to deal with this issue. I want you to to go there. And, and it's hard to go there. It's hard to take that step. But when you do, isn't God always faithful to do something amazing in your life, right? It's always hard to take that step of faith. But when you do, God always comes through and he does something unique in you. And God has been moving in my heart in this series. But in this whole series, we've been talking about how forgiveness and freedom are intrinsically linked. You know, you, you, your heart was made for freedom. We just heard that in the video. God made your heart. He made you to experience a heart that is free from regret and despair, a heart that's free from bitterness and anger. God wants you to experience joy and peace and freedom. And that is his plan for you, right? But when we won't forgive others, when we won't allow forgiveness to flow through us, we, we end up closing off that that process that God wants to do. And Jesus talks about this all through the New Testament in the Lord's Prayer when he's teaching his disciples to pray. He says, Father, forgive me my debts as I forgive those who owe me a debt, right? Remember in the parable that we, got, we went over in week one, Jesus told the story of the unforgiving servant. Peter comes up to him, his disciple. He says, Jesus, how many times should I forgive? Up to seven times. Peter thinks he's really doing good because at that time, the rabbi said that you were allowed to forgive three times. Because if you forgave more than three times, then people will be getting away with it. And, you know, so much like a Pharisee to really have that, that figured out. And Peter was saying, well, I'll be magnanimous. I'll forgive seven times. And Jesus says, no, Peter, you don't understand. It's 70 times seven. But Jesus wasn't saying, oh, it's 490 or it's 77. He wasn't saying that. He was saying forgiveness is something that is either on or off. It's a posture of your heart. It's a gate that is either open or it's shut. It's not about counting offenses and keeping score. That's not how God operates with us. 
It's about, are we going to receive and give forgiveness? And so Jesus links those two things. And then in the parable of the unforgiving servant, Jesus talks about how the servant that would not forgive was, was turned over into torment. He was turned over into captivity. And what we experience, because Jesus knows how your heart works, how my heart works, what we experience when we refuse to forgive is we always end up in captivity, don't we? Someone once said that, that uh, um, you know, bitterness or unforgiveness is like drinking poison, hoping the other person dies. And it only impacts you, doesn't it? When you're holding someone hostage in your heart, and so we've talked about what it looks like to have someone in the heart prison, and God wants us to open that door and let that person out. Now, forgiveness doesn't always mean that you're gonna go hang out with that person. Come on, there's people that actually, there needs to be some boundaries, right? Maybe there's somebody that is a serial offender of pain and wounding and you need to have some wisdom, but, but forgiveness and reconciliation aren't necessarily the same thing, okay? But we need to be a people that walk in forgiveness, that aren't holding other servants hostage, that aren't holding them accountable. We need to walk in forgiveness and that leads to freedom for us. You know, as we've gone through this series, we've talked a lot about the power of forgiveness and forgiving other people. Oftentimes at the end of all of this process, even if you've let everybody else out of jail, even if, even if you've released all the people that have sinned against you and you're not actively holding unforgiveness against another person, a lot of times there's still one person that's left, one person that's still sitting in the jail cell, one person that's still captive, and that person is ourself. Isn't that true? That when we talk about forgiveness, you know, technically you can't really forgive yourself, but it's about letting God forgive you. It's about being that person that releases and lets go of the guilt and the shame and the condemnation and says, God, I'm actually going to receive that which you did for me through Jesus. But when we don't do that, what do we do? We construct a prison cell of pain, a prison cell of regret, a prison cell of self-loathing. This is just like me on a Monday morning. Anybody else with me here? And we look back at the things we've done and the people that we've hurt. How many of you know that the people that you, that everybody has been hurt and everybody has hurt someone else? right? Every one of us, as we've gone through life, we've been playing bumper cars and we've stepped out of our lane and broken the rules, haven't we? And we've not only been hurt, but we've hurt, which is interesting because Jesus said, you know, forgive those that owe you a debt. Father, forgive me as I forgive those that owe me a debt. And we always think about that in our self perspective, but who are the people that are being forgiven? It's us because we've hurt other people, haven't we? And what happens is as we go through life and we've made mistakes and we've done wrong things, even willfully, even sinfully, rebelliously, we've not only wounded others, we've wounded ourselves. And what we can end up doing is letting those things hang on and we build a prison of regret. Oh God, I wish I would have never done fill in the blanks. Oh God, I wish I would have never said this to this person. Oh God, I wish I never would have walked away from my family into a life of addiction. Oh God, I wish I never would have gotten myself caught up in a life of immorality. Come on, somebody, anybody live in the real world today? You know, that, oh God, I, I have all these things. And we begin to, to let these walls rise up around us of regret. And that regret left undealt with, it turns into pain. It turns into self-loathing where we eventually begin to even despise and hate ourselves and see ourselves as unworthy. And we ultimately can see ourselves as irredeemable or we get caught up in this thing of trying to earn our, our way back to God, which is as far from the gospel as a person can get. I want to tell you a story this morning about two men that dealt with this issue of holding themselves hostage. 
in the book, The Freedom Factor, Bruce Wilkinson and, and Pastor Mark Strong, the authors, they tell a story about two businessmen. The first businessman was a wise man. He had built up a vast fortune and he had $26 million. He was a little bit beyond my yard sale business acumen, slightly, but you know, a little bit. This man had built up an account of $26 million with the express purpose to give it to the work of God in the world, to give it to missions, to give it to churches, to plant churches, to do good things. He had saved this up and it was about ready to retire and he was going to give this $26 million, but then an opportunity came up. An opportunity that looked to him, and he's a good businessman, he's wise, it looked like a surefire thing, a sure bet to not just be able to give $26 million, but actually to double his money and give $50 million. And this was his heart, and so he's excited, and he invests this money. And lo and behold, what happens? He loses every single cent. And so, of course, what does he feel like? A failure. He's ashamed of himself. He feels stupid. He feels like his life's work has been tainted by one mistake. And he's pushed to the brink of despair. He calls the author of the book. He says, I've failed. I've wrecked my life. God is mad at me. I, I'm, I've made the, the worst mistake of my life. And the author is able to tell him, he says, what do you think God cares more about, your heart or your money? And the man said, well, God cares more about my heart. He said, that's right. He said, do you think that God sees, saw your intention, what you wanted to do with that money, and even your intention to invest and to see? So yes, I do believe that. And he was able to lead him back to a place where he was, this man, this businessman was able to say, I'm going to turn this over to God. I'm going to forgive myself and let God's forgiveness touch me. And I'm going to walk in grace that I won't be defined by what I've done wrong, but I'd rather be defined by what God has done right in my life. And he was able to walk out of that pit of despair. And you know what? Do you think that guy has probably, God has more for him in his life that he can do good things? Absolutely. And you know what? That $26 million, though that was a lot and that was amazing, and yes, it could be used for good things. How many of you think that the God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills probably has better bank accounts than any of us and, and, and is working in the world to do what he wants to do and stirring people? So this man was able to let it go and he was able to re recover and get to that place of peace and freedom. But a second man then a few weeks later called the authors of the book, called, he said, I blew it. I blew it. He said, I'm a businessman, businessman, and I've lived my whole life with wisdom and I've raised up money and I have my family's been prospered. I've been generous, but I recently made a decision in business and I lost everything. I'm broke. We're penniless. My family is penniless. I've made the worst mistake of my life. I blew it. I blew it. And, and, and the author begins to talk to him. No, listen, what does God care about? Your heart. He talks him through the same process, but the end of the conversation, before the man receives forgiveness, before he's able to let go for himself, he ends the conversation with these words. No, I've blown it. I blew it. And he hangs up. And several days later, the author receives a call that that man took his own life. Listen, today I want to give you three thoughts about forgiving yourself. Do you know, number one, that it's, it's actually possible to be holding your own heart hostage. That just like this businessman who couldn't let go, his life became defined by his failure rather than defined by God's success through Jesus. See, you, you can put yourself in a prison. It's possible to hold your own heart hostage. And maybe even today you're sitting here and you have a key in your hand and a lock on your heart. And even though you think, yes, Jesus can rescue and redeem and reconcile other people, he can't do that for me. And maybe you don't even think that explicitly or consciously, but deep down you have your heart held hostage because you can't receive 
the scandalous and overpowering grace of God for yourself. And I believe right now by the spirit of God, the Lord wants to help you to take that key and unlock your heart and say, God, do your best in me. God, let your grace flood into my heart. What does this look like biblically, this holding your own heart hostage? It's, it's described in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. This is the apostle Paul. And he's, he's talking about two different types of sorrow or pain. And he says this, for the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. And he's speaking about repentance. And he says, there's no regret for that kind of sorrow. When you feel bad because you've done something wrong, that means you have a, an operational Jiminy Cricket on your shoulder. Anybody seen Pinocchio? All right. You have a conscience. Like a person who feels no bad feelings about doing horrible things, you have a problem, right? You need to ask God to turn your conscience back on. Maybe you accidentally squashed Jiminy one time and you need a new Jiminy, you know, to sit. Jiminy Cricket was Pinocchio's conscience, right? He was telling him, Pinocchio, don't do this. And, and maybe, you know, if you're at that part where you've seared your conscience, ask God to, to restore that. But it's okay to feel bad when you do wrong things. Listen, we live in a culture which gets a lot of things right, but also gets a lot of things wrong. There are times where even in my life, even though God loves me, I've actually done something pretty wrong and hurt somebody and I feel bad about it. And that's actually okay. You know, in our culture, everybody's saying, no, you should never feel bad. You should never feel bad. If you kill somebody or, you know, run over a little kid in your car or like sell $2 million in drugs or, you know, like are mean to people or kick people out of your yard sale like me or do all the horrible things I've done, like you should feel bad. That's called having a conscience. You hear what I'm saying? But listen, that's not where it lands, is it? It's not where it lands. Because what happens is Paul goes on. He says, that kind of sorrow, what it does is we go, man, I don't like that. I, I, I drank that cup. That was nasty. I don't like the feeling of that. I did the wrong thing. I feel bad. But that leads me to turn to God and say, help me. I want to walk away from sin. I want to walk to you. I want to experience grace and redemption. And that leaves regret behind. That kind of sorrow, godly sorrow. But Paul goes on. He says, but worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance. Repentance being the changing of the mind, the paradigm shift. You were walking one way. And by the grace of God, you're able to turn around and walk the other way. You were doing the wrong thing, but you were able to turn and say, I'm going to walk the other way. Repentance, worldly sorrow, which lacks that, which lacks repentance, it results in spiritual death. And what's Paul talking about here? He's talking about two types of sorrow. The first one is this wallowing in sin. It's a focus, even a self-obsession wrapped around how bad you are and how rotten you are and how evil you are and all this kind of stuff. And Paul's saying that right there will lead you to spiritual death. There's no repentance in that. Did you know that your bad feelings doesn't help you be right with God? Come on. When I feel bad for what I've done, and my conscience is twinged, that right there does not make me right with God. And that right there doesn't earn me any credit with God. Come on. And then if you just start, you know, hurting yourself or hating yourself, that especially does not help you with God. Come on, somebody. What helps you with God? Only the grace of God accepted what we received through Jesus helps you to walk with him. And so Paul's talking about these two types of sorrow, either wallowing in our sin, focusing on our sin, holding ourselves, our own heart hostage, or saying, I'm not going to focus on my bad. I'm going to focus on God's good. And I'm going to walk away. I'm going to experience that kind of sorrow that results in me walking towards salvation and leaving regret behind. Let me just tell you right now, living in condemnation does not honor God. It dishonors him. 
Living under guilt and condemnation does not please God. It displeases him because that's not why he, it's not why he sent Jesus to leave you in that prison cell. Second thought I want to give you about forgiving yourself is this. You can live in guilt or you can live in grace, but you cannot live in both. You can live in guilt or you can live in grace, but not both. Do you know that Jesus paid for your sin with his life? When we talk about the gospel, it's this message that God loved the world so much that he sent his son to die on the cross for our, for our sins, your sins, my sins, the sins of every person, past, present, future, so that we could be made right with him, so that we could be reconciled with him. And he paid the dearest and most significant price that anyone ha ever has and ever could pay. He emptied the treasures of heaven. He poured out his own son, Jesus, and gave that gift to redeem us, to reconcile us. And Jesus paid for our sins. And so I want to ask you this question. What right do you have to hold your heart hostage? I mean, think about this. If you go to a restaurant and you pay the bill, you put your credit card on, you know, you do the whole thing, you give them a tip because you're a Christian and you're a nice person. You put the tip them, tip, come on people, tip, right? Yeah. I mean, if you don't tip, you need to feel bad, right? I mean, just forget all this forgiveness stuff. No, I'm just teasing. You pay the bill. What if all of a sudden the waiter, waiter chases you down? Hey, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. You owe us. Excuse me? I don't owe you anything. The bill is paid. Now think about how ridiculous this is, what we do to God when he, we go, oh, Jesus, I receive you as my Lord and Savior. I accept your sacrifice. I accept the fact that you paid my bill. And then we sit there in guilt and condemnation and say the bill is not paid. You can live in guilt or you can live in grace, but you can't live in both. You see, this mindset of guilt and holding yourself accountable, thinking that there's a way you can earn it back, pay it back, work your way to God, is antithetical to the gospel of grace, antithetical to the actual gospel of Jesus preached in the scriptures revealed to us. And what we actually need to do is get out of the way and let God do his job. Because you're not helping him. Come on, you guys. Our, the Bible says our righteousness is like filthy rags, which means when you do your very best, you're still not right. It's not clean. It's not good. Our righteousness, adding it to God's is like a drop of spit in the ocean. We're not helping. My daughter, Penny, when she was, she just turned three on Friday. So now she's a sophisticated, mature young woman. But before this moment, she was two. And uh, I, I, at least I'm good enough at math to get that one right. Uh, two comes before three. Thank you very much. And so she uh, was two years old. And one day she was tucking into a plate of nachos. Come on, the Holy Spirit just moved into the room right there. Thank you, Jesus. You can tell it's second service because the food, the food references start ri rising up here. And Penny's tucking into these nachos and there's cheese and beans flying everywhere and all kinds of stuff. And she's like, my daughter, Penny, never met a plate of food she didn't love. You know, she's just getting really acquainted with it, just getting to know it, you know, and just, you know, just going in there. And so she's deep into this plate of nachos and I foolishly walked up uh, towards her. And so I come stand behind, by her and she, you know, leans over, Daddy! and smeared beans and cheese and unspeakable things on my pants. Now, any of you that know me know that there's very little in the world that I like less than having food on me. In fact, that's probably my least favorite thing in, in the world. Someone could say, hey, I stole your car. I'd be like, ah, you know, we'll, we'll work it out. If you spill food on me, we are going to have words, you know? 
I, I have to confess, I get nervous on Sundays. Like if I drink coffee and I might get a fleck on my shirt, I'd have to resign as pastor. I mean, just, I'm sorry, I have to resign. Why did you resign? There was, did you see my shirt? <laughs> there was coffee on it. I had a fleck on me. They're like, it's microscopic. I know it's there though, right? My, my wife's always assuring, she's like, nobody else can tell. Did I have beans smeared on my pants? I'm pretty sure they can. Anyways, that's a rabbit trail. So she, Penny has smeared me, but she has this precious little heart. And she looks up at me with her big eyes. And she says, sorry, daddy. And she goes, I help wipe it off. And she reaches out her hands. <laughs> the same hands that have caused the offense is now what is going to bring restitution. <laughs> And I say, no, <laughs> I back off. Now I want you to think about us in this story and who are we? Father, I'm sorry. Here, let me help wipe it off. <laughs> Our hands are dirty. We're not gonna add anything to what God is gonna do. I think about the words of this old hymn, one of my favorites, it says, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. See, being a Christian is about 100% recognizing, just 100% putting your trust in Jesus and saying, not by anything that I bring to the table. I can't wipe it off. I'm the person that got the beans on the pants. Like, I'm not adding anything, I'm not adding anything to God. I'm just trusting 100% that Jesus made me right with my Father. And like in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, which says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And yet sometimes we're sitting there living in guilt, trying to grab hold of grace. You can't live in both. You either receive the gospel, the scandalously good news, the good news that's almost unbelievable, that Jesus literally paid the entire bill, washed all your sin, and that you can now be made right with God and stand with him in a relationship, you can either believe that or you can, you can hold on to this guilt mindset that's not gonna help you get any better, but it's also gonna not make you free and you're gonna be miserable. And yet so many people, even people that actually have a heart for God and sit in churches every week and come, they're laboring under this illusion, a false gospel. It's a gospel of effort and earning versus a gospel of grace. You know what's funny about this though is that when you receive the gospel of grace, it's not that you go back and live a life of sin. The Bible says the goodness of God leads us to repentance and our capacity to walk as righteous in righteousness, our capacity to do good and actually begin to bring light into the world as ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven. It comes as a reflection of God's grace working in our hearts, God's grace working in our lives, not because we're good people and we know what to do. And we, does that make sense? Grace does something powerful in your life, in your heart, and when you receive it, you actually walk in righteousness, which is amazing. Legalism will lead you into further sin and condemnation and bondage, but walking in grace will actually let you live in righteousness. But I want you to hear this today. Self-inflicted suffering, putting yourself in prison, holding your heart hostage, living in guilt, not grace, doesn't please God. It doesn't honor God. It displeases God. And here's why. Third thought I want to give you about forgiving and releasing yourself is this. God wants you to be free. God wants you free. You know what I love about God? It says in Galatians 5.1, 
It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17, for the Lord is spirit and wherever the, Lord, wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, there is liberty. Let me just tell you, when you show up in a situation and there's not liberty, God's spirit is not at work. When you show up in a situation and there is freedom and liberty, that's where God's spirit is at work. God liberates, come on, God, God liberates people from whatever circumstances they are in. There's freedom. He lifts the, the head of the discouraged. God is a father to the fatherless. He's a, he's a father to the orphans. He's a husband to the widow. Come on, God loves people, uh, every person, no matter what their situation. He's lifting people up. Come on, somebody. He's bringing freedom and God wants to bring freedom to you today. And you know what I found about people that have been set free is that they go out and become liberators themselves. You see, when God's broken off your chains and he set you free from living in guilt and you're now walking in grace, it's a lot easier to walk to somebody else and say, listen, I'm another beggar and I wanna teach you where to find bread. Come on, I, uh, let me show you what God has done in my life because I'm not much, I'm not really anything. In fact, I was lost in darkness, I was down in the mud and my story is not of a hero that climbed a mountain to get to God. My story is about a hero God that climbed down a mountain and grabbed my hand when I was at my lowest point and lifted me up. Come on, somebody. And God wants you to be free. God wants you to walk free. He wants your heart to have joy and peace and freedom. Why should we settle for less than, a, than the life that Jesus died for us to have? You know, it's fascinating when you look into the scriptures and you see the themes and the, the narrative that carries through the entire book. You realize that in Genesis, right in the beginning, mankind makes a horrible mistake and chooses moral and mortal and existential autonomy from God and says, now we're going we're gonna to do our own thing. And, and the Bible says that by one man's sin, death came for us all. And we were sold into the slavery and captivity. But by one man's sacrifice, everybody can be made right with God. And so when Jesus died on the cross, he didn't just, he didn't die so you could be a marginally better person sometimes. You see, that's a false gospel. That's a gospel of moral reformation, but the real gospel is about transformation and about resurrection. Jesus didn't come to make bad men good. He came to make dead men live. And the real gospel is liberating and powerful. And why should we settle for less than a life, less than the life that Jesus, than Jesus died for us to live? See, that here's the thing, God's spirit and our captivity cannot coexist. If you're living in guilt, you're not living in grace. If you're living in captivity, you're not living in freedom. And yet we walk this life. And I find it funny because a lot of times as Christians, one of the things that we can struggle with is our ability to evangelize. And so we try to sell people a product that we don't ourselves own or enjoy. Hey, do you wanna to come to church with me so you can be slightly more judgmental of the rest of the world around you? Um, no. <laughs> hey, would you like to come to church? We, we actually miss the football games on Sunday morning, <laughs> right? We give up one of those hours. Like if you try to make it about something other than the real thing, it's not good. Like right now we could be out doing more things, fun things. You know what I mean? You guys realize that, right? You're not tricked, right? You knew like, okay, the sun is actually shining outside these four walls. And if we try to sell people on an experience of religion, it falls really flat. But when you tell people, let me just tell you, the reason I, I go to church is because I love God and I love what he's doing in my life and I want to worship him. Come on, when it's the reality of a relationship with Jesus and you're walking in freedom and God is doing things in your life and, the, and he's, he's awakened purpose and hope and he's awakening things in your spirit. Come on, it changes the whole thing. 
So then you're not telling people, hey, well, why don't you come to church with me, I guess. No, it's, a, it's an entirely different thing because God is setting us free. But God's spirit in our captivity cannot coexist. And listen, this is what God wants to do in you today. Bottom line, he wants to set you free. Let your own heart free. I believe right now that God is just putting his hand on you and he's saying, listen, take that key out of your pocket, the one that's held this prison shut of condemnation and guilt and shame, which does not honor God and does not help you be a good person and unlock the door and let God begin to do his work. Put down those beam covered hands on the table and let your father come in and bring some cleansing. Let God come in and do what only God can do because God wants to set you free. Isn't that awesome? Today, I believe that hearts are going to be set free. And yeah, let's do that whole thing right now. Come on. The question is this, are we going to trust in the gospel of grace? Are we going to trust in Jesus or choose our own way? My vote is to trust in Jesus. How about you? Forgive yourself. Let yourself out of that heart prison. As we forgive others, let God's forgiveness come flooding in like a tidal wave into your heart today. Jesus, right now, I pray for every wonderful person in here. God, just a treasure of a group of people, just an amazing group of people that you love so, so much. And Lord, I pray right now that the the prison doors of shame, of regret, of pain, Lord, of our mistakes that we've caused, those prison doors would be thrown open today by the power of your Holy Spirit and that your life and your love and your grace would wash over us. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Lord, we are saved not by anything that we have done. We are saved by your grace through faith. We simply put our trust 100% in you, Jesus, and say all my cards are on the table. All my chips are in the middle. I've put it all on Jesus. It's all on him. And he is where my hope rests. And today, Lord, I pray that we would walk, this, walk out of this place more free, set free from guilt, from shame, from condemnation. In the name of Jesus, everybody said, amen.